book of Isaiah, chapter 54. I want to first give honor to God for allowing us all to be here today. Amen. I want to give a special thanks to my pastor for um, giving me another opportunity to stand from this pulpit and bring the word of God. I have to say, I truly am excited about the word that God has given. Um, I can't be sure, but I think that it's going to be for somebody in this room. It, it might just be for me, I don't know. But I think that um, I, I truly believe that this is something that he sent for someone here today. So my prayer is that it is well received and that it will not return back void. Book of Isaiah, chapter 54, I will be reading from the New King James Version. Beginning in verse 1, you will find these words. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not yet labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither will be disgraced. For you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more for your maker is your husband the lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer is the holy one of israel he is called the god of the whole earth for the lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit like a youthful wife when you were refused says your god for a mere moment i have forsaken you but with great mercies i will gather you with a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Verse 11, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempests and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphire. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystals, and your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about the glory of your sufferings. 
want to talk to you this morning about the glory of your sufferings. Before we uh, go before the throne of grace, you know, I think that there are verses in the Bible that for some reason or another have stuck with us. There are verses in the Bible that I guess they had a particular ring to them and songwriters thought that they would be really good to make a song out of. And so they, they stick with us because we've heard them more often than not. There are some verses that for some reason preachers all around the world just enjoy to preach. There are verses of the Bible that people like to go and, you know, kind of like affirmations. You have women and you even have men standing in front of their mirrors every morning repeating verses to themselves just to get them through the day. You can't discount these verses. For some of us, there was just one verse of the Bible that got us through a trying time. For some of us, there was a verse of the Bible that we had to keep repeating to ourselves to remind ourselves of a promise that God made to us. But I also have to caution you that it is very dangerous to build the foundation of your doctrine on one particular verse. And I have to admit that when I first started preaching, I really enjoyed particular verses. And when I would prepare a sermon, I would go to my concordance to find the word of the verse that I was looking for so I could come and bring the verse. But as I preached a little bit longer, I realized that sometimes you have to read the verse before the verse and the verse after the verse to really understand what that verse was talking about. And then as you grow a little bit more, you understand that sometimes you even have to read the whole chapter before you get to that that verse and then read the chapter after it to understand exactly what that verse means. And then when you go a little bit deeper in the Word of God, you understand you got to read the book before the book of the verse that you're reading and then go on and keep reading the next book to try to understand this one verse that you're trying to really get into. And before you know it, you find yourself studying the whole Bible, trying to put this puzzle piece together to understand this one verse. Because if you're not careful, the enemy will use one verse and he will give you a little bit of truth for that verse. But if you haven't understood who the verse was talking about and how they got to the promise, sometimes the truth of that verse doesn't line up with the reality of your situation. And the enemy, if you're not careful, will use that to discourage your faith. Because what do you do when you read the Bible when it says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread? I don't know about you, but that was David's testimony. Because I've seen a lot of your seed begging for some money. I've seen a lot of your seed begging for some bread. What do you do when the reality of the verse doesn't line up with the reality of your situation? What do you do when you read that I am more than a conqueror, but in your present situation, it looks like the enemy has his hand on you? What do you do when you read that the Bible says that you are a lender and never a borrower, but I know some of you called me for some money, and so I, I understand that I have to go and have borrow some money. So what do you do when the truth of one verse doesn't line up with the reality of your situation? So, so here we are in Isaiah chapter 54, and he says, sing, O barren woman, rejoice those who have not yet conceived, because your child will be more than those who already have. What do you do when you read the verse that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but finances are mounted up against you. But sickness is mounted up against you. But strongholds are mounted up against you. And it seems like the truth of the verse doesn't line up with the reality 
of your situation. So we're going to talk about Isaiah chapter 54, and we're going to talk about some of the promises that God has made to you, but you have to understand who he made the promise to and what those people had to go through just to receive the promise. Heavenly Father, right now we come boldly to the throne of grace, and we ask that you would just completely remove me out the way. I believe that if you show up this morning, that, that, that broken hearts will be mended. I believe that if you would speak from this pulpit, that, that blind eyes will see. I believe that if you would just have your way in this, in this sanctuary, that if you would have your way with this congregation, that somebody, it might just be one person, but somebody will leave here knowing a little bit more about you, Lord God. So I turn it over to you. I ask that you would make yourself manifest, Lord. I ask that you would just call back those things to remembrance that you and I have discussed, Lord God. Pray that you would just remove my agenda out of the way, and I pray that you would just simply have your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here we are in the book of Isaiah. And I know that it goes without saying that every book of the Bible bears its own significance. But for my own personal self, I am intrigued by the book of Isaiah. More particularly, I'm intrigued by who the person of Isaiah had to be. When you read the book of Isaiah, you have to understand that he heard the voice of God very succinctly. He was writing things that nobody else could have. We're talking about more than just any other prophet. We're talking about more than some Miss Cleo. He, he, he's sitting there and he's talking about things that nobody can imagine. Before Mary knew Joseph, before we knew of a Mary or a Joseph, here he is talking about this man that will come into this world and he will be called Emmanuel and he will be called God with us. Before we know anything about the miracles or the works that he will do. Here Isaiah is speaking to his people, talking about a man that's going to come and do great things. Before we know anything about the cross, Isaiah knows that this man will be wounded for our transgressions. He'll be bruised for our iniquity. Before we know anything about the stripes, he knows that his stripes will make us healed. Before we know that he will die and be raised again, Isaiah speaks of this man. He speaks of this, this coming Messiah, and he sends this message of joy, this message of hope, to the people. You don't get that sort of prophecy if you have not forsaken some things in yourself. God cannot get you to a particular point in ministry if you are not willing to let go of some other things. Ministry will cost you something. And I am intrigued by how well Isaiah was able to really be in line and in succinct with the word of God so carefully that when God spoke it, he was able to speak it back with such accuracy. We're talking about years before there was Mary, years before there was Jesus, but when he writes it, he writes it to the T of the things that will go on. But you have to not only look at Isaiah as just someone who talked about the future, but he also took the time to talk about the past. If you read the book of Isaiah, you will understand that it is broken up in, in different segments, and you will understand that he spends time dealing with the children of Israel. Why? Because it is very hard for him to bring this message of hope, this message of deliverance to this people. So you have to understand some things about the children of Israel. The children of Israel is synonymous with the children of God, the people of God. You would think that if you are the people of God, that you would be the rulers of many. You would think that if you are the people of God, you would be sitting on top of the world. But what happens when the person who's supposed to be sitting on top of the world is in slavery to Egypt? Yes. 
What do you do when you are the children of God, but you're in bondage to another nation, Egypt, and you can't escape? And God raises up a man in Moses to come and deliver you. And we've all seen the movie that plays every year, and he stands before Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. But it wasn't that simple. He, Moses doesn't succeed the first time. Moses doesn't succeed the second time. So now what do you do when God has called a man to deliver his people and he's not been successful? And then even when he is successful, the, the movie depicts the people walking from Egypt and it's happily ever after, but it wasn't a happily ever after. They had to fight to get out of that thing. God had to send plagues to help them get out of that thing. He had to part seas to help them get away from their enemy. But what do you do when after you've gotten through the sea, but still things aren't happily ever after. So here you are on a journey to a promised land, a land that is yours, a land that should have taken days to get to. Now, I've been on road trips with people from anywhere from four hours to 14 hours, and I tell you, I get a little bit aggravated over time if I have to be in a car with somebody who doesn't like the same music that I like, or you're carrying a conversation that I really don't want to have anything to do with, or, or you know what, I just really don't want to hear your voice right now. I get aggravated sometimes being in a car with somebody for 12 hours. So imagine how the attitude would have had to be to be on a journey with somebody that should have lasted days. And here you are on your last day and you're finally starting to psych yourself up like this journey is almost over and God is going to deliver us. But now the journey that should have taken days has now taken weeks. And so now I'm really aggravated because I don't think my leader knows where he's going. He didn't really program the GPS and he wasn't following the directions. And so now we're walking on a little bit more. And so we're on a journey that should have taken days, but now it's taken a month. Now you got some people that they were talking about you in their head, but now they're talking about you vocally, and now they're upset. And I said, look, I don't know what you're doing, Moses, but you need to lead us in the right direction. And I don't know what you're doing, God, but we're supposed to be your people because now we're on a journey that should have taken days, and it's taken six months, and now it's taken a year, and now it's taken two years, and now I really don't understand, and now I'm really getting upset because you should have just left us back in Egypt. Because at least back in Egypt, I knew where I was going to sleep. At least back in Egypt, I knew where my next meal was coming from. But now you got me out here in the wilderness. And now I got to rely on this thing called manna. And I got to have faith that God is going to give me just enough manna, just enough food to make it through the day. Have you ever been brought to a place where you had to believe God was going to give you just enough? Have you ever been brought to a place where if you said, God, if you don't give it, I can't get out of bed this morning. If you don't give it, I can't make it through this job. If you don't give it, I can't deal with my wife. If you don't give it, I can't deal with my husband. If you can't do it, I can't deal with this kid. If you don't give it, he gave them just enough. So now tensions really got high because you got to remember the journey should have taken days, but now we've been on the journey for 30 years. And now the same people that you started with are not walking with you anymore. Some people got lost along the way. Some people died off along the way. And I'll be if Moses didn't die along the way. You be careful to put all your eggs in Pastor Venice's basket. Yeah. 
you have to understand that the vision may have been given by Moses, but it didn't start with Moses, nor would it end with Moses. But can you imagine being on a journey that should have taken days, and 40 years later, now Moses is dead, and you still ain't got there, and now you're starting to lose the faith. But you're the people of God. You're the children of God. This is your promised land, and you still can't get there. What do you do when the promise doesn't line up with your situation? Suffering. So God raises up a man in Joshua to lead the people. But isn't it funny that even after the manna, even after Egypt, even after Moses has died, even after other people have died along the way, now that you make it to the promised land, God says it's your land. Your name is on it. You've already got 40 years invested, but now that you made it, you got to fight. You have to fight to take it over. Have you ever had to fight for something that was yours? I can understand fighting to take something for somebody that wasn't yours, but now I got to fight for what's mine. After 40 years, after Moses is gone, what do you do when the promise doesn't line up? And now Egypt, to make it worse, Egypt is still breathing down your neck. And to make it worse, now you're taken captive by Babylon. So I left slavery. Let me get this right. You, you, you took me from Egypt to lead me into a barren place, to lead me into the wilderness for a journey that should have taken days, but it took 40 years only for us to run for our life, to eat nothing but manna, to end up back in slavery in Babylon. And we are the people of God. So imagine how difficult it must have been for Isaiah to speak this joyful word, to look at somebody in the midst of their situation and say, sing, O barren woman. To look at somebody who, yeah, they just escaped Babylon, but you know, there's some jokes you can't make until the wound is healed. It's too soon. It's too soon. I just walked out of Babylon, and you're going to look me in my face and tell me rejoice? See, that's when people get angry at the preacher when we stand up here and we say, you know what, God can and God will and you ought to give God some praise. And you look back at us and say, you have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea what I'm going through. Well, I came here to tell you that I'm not really a fan of prosperity preaching, nor am I a fan of hellfire and damnation preaching. But I'm a fan of preaching that lets you know that yes, there are going to be good times, but you got to go through the bad times in order to appreciate the good times. And what Isaiah was saying is, is I'm trying to get the people of God to understand that you are his. And everything that he took you through was for his glory. And all the while you were going through your suffering, God was piecing together a puzzle so that when you look back over your life, you will understand a little bit more about God. There are sometimes when I preach, I don't catch things until the afterplay. And say, Lord, you were preaching that day. And there was one time here, uh, the last time I preached here, we were talking about the seven last words, and I realized 
realize that God is not a God of the destination, but God is a God of the along the way. And what I realized what he was doing with the children of Israel was he was showing people, when you say you are the children of God, by the time I get through with you, you will understand that you are the children of somebody who will never let you fall. You are the children of a God who will always give you just enough. When I get done with you, you will realize that you are a children of a God who can deliver you out of the hand of Egypt. When I get done with you, you will realize that even when Moses has died, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When I get done with you, yes, you had to run for your life, but you will look back and remember that no weapon formed against you has ever really prospered. When I get done with you, you will realize that everything that you went through was just moving you along the way. But as he talks about the things that the children of Israel goes through, if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, before he releases this verse, he talks about something that somebody else goes through. He talks about somebody else, one man who had to come down and fight for what is his. He says, you're upset because you're going through suffering to get your promised land, but let me tell you about somebody else who had to go through suffering to get what was his. He left glory. He was the person of God. He was the I am. He was the burning bush. He can manifest himself in a talking ass. He, he, you have to understand that this was the man who could speak and put the stars in the sky and, and align the sun with the moon and align the atmosphere, but this man had to fight to get what was his. So he came down in that person. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And he performed many miracles and he did many things and they called him Jesus and they called him the Messiah. But even after all the miracles he did, even after feeding 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, even after taking a stroll out on the water, even after preaching on the mountaintop, even after spitting on the blind man's eyes to make him see, even after troubling the waters, even after everything that he's done, he still had to fight for what he wanted. He still had to fight for what is his. So now we find him in the garden of Gethsemane. You have to understand, I heard somebody say that in order for you to understand who you are, you have to understand whose you are. In order to understand who you are now, you have to understand where you came from. So you want the promises of God, but you have to understand that sometimes to get what is even yours, you have to go through suffering. And Jesus is getting what is his in this people, but he has to go through suffering. And he realizes this in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he realizes that it is his time. And when he says, Lord, if I have to take this cup, he's not stressing out about the cross because the cross really wasn't the issue. You are going to God and you're bringing him your stronghold. You're bringing him this sin that you can't deal with. You're bringing him this child that won't deal right. You're bringing him this job that you need. And he's trying to get you to understand that the situation in itself is not the issue. He, you're bringing him the mountain and you're asking him to remove the mountain. But God is saying, I dare you to believe that I can get you on top of the mountain. Is it that you will ever rejoice on the mountaintop if you never climb the mountain? You want me to be a God that pulls you out of the valley, but you don't want to go in the valley. And so Jesus says, I understand that in order for you to do the work, I have to go through the suffering. And so he's not really stressing out about the cross, but he's stressing out about the place that he has to get through in order for the cross to be effective. 
You're wondering why you're still in your situation. I believe that it took the children of Israel 40 years because it was going to take them 40 years to really get to the place that God wanted them to be. It wasn't about the physical journey. The physical journey should have taken seven days. But you have to understand that until you get your spiritual self in order, he's not going to align some things up in the physical. And so now Jesus is getting his spirit in line and he's sweating blood because he's getting to this barren place. When Isaiah speaks, sing, oh, barren woman, he's talking about somebody who is desolate. He's not talking about in vitro. He's not talking about birth control. He's not talking about things like that. He's talking about somebody who's been apart from God in total abasement. And Jesus realized in order for the cross to be effective, I have to get to this place where it seems like God has forsaken me. I have to get to this place of desolation. I have to get to this place of total turmoil in order for the cross to be effective. But once you understand that, when you can read the Bible and read it for its promises and read it for its bad times, it will change your way of thinking. It will change your way of thinking. Now when the storm comes, I don't stress out because I understand that the storm is only here to make me better. Now I understand that just like when I was in school, the only way I could get promoted is if I pass the test. And if I want God to elevate me, then there's going to be a series of tests that I have to go through. And when the enemy sends it my way, I can look back at the enemy and say, you're a liar and I'm just passing the test. Now when things don't line up with the truth of the verse and the reality of my situation, when I know enough truth, I can look at the enemy and say, yes, I don't have a dime in my pocket, but I am a lender and not a borrower because I believe in the word of God and I believe he's just moving me along the way. So Jesus has this frame of thinking, and I'm almost done with you, but you have to understand. Jesus has this frame of thinking, and he's been beaten, and he's been spit upon, and he's been whipped. But my Bible says he never murmurs a word. Why? Because he changed his frame of mind. He changed his thinking. While you were beating him, he was thinking, little do you know, you're just moving me into <laughs> position. They were spitting on him, and they said, if you be God, shouldn't you be able to beat us? He said, just wait. You're just moving me into position. And so they whip him 39 times, almost to the point of death, and I could hear him breathing out to himself, you're just moving me into position. And he suffers, and he carries the cross, and so much so that he needs another man to help him. But he, as he walks up this hill, I believe with every step, with every step up the hill, have you ever taken a step by step by step, and each one seems harder than the one you took before. But he presses and he says, if my body can make it up the hill, I'm just getting into the position where my spirit can take over. And so now he's nailed to the cross, and he's gasping himself for air. His back is open against this wooden, rugged cross. And he says, now I'm in position. I have a secret for you. The enemy is going to take you through some things. And there's going to be times when your marriage is falling apart. There's going to be times when you do lose the house. It's going to be times when you lose the job. There's going to be times when you lose your mind. But then, what if God didn't forsake you? What if he was moving you into position? Because I have to imagine that if I were one of the people who put the nails in his hand, 
if I was the person who put the crown of thorns on his head, if I witnessed those seven words that he spoke, if I saw him yield up the spirit, if I pierced his side and I saw the blood come out of his body and I saw the water come out of his body and I knew that was a dead man, then when I see him risen, when I see him ascending with all power in his hand, you can't tell me it was magic. You can't tell me it was voodoo. I seen him at the low place. I was there. I know he was dead, but I know that he stands before me and he is alive. What if when you gave your life to Christ, God decided, I want to do a thing through you that when people look at you, they will know that you could not have done it on your own. What if there's glory in all the suffering that you went through? What if there's glory in the stronghold that he had grace with you for? You know what? When I was going through my stronghold and still struggle sometimes, I firmly believe that even in my darkest place, there was something inside of me that as some family member started to write me off, I firmly believe that there was some little part inside of me as even I lost the faith. There was some little part inside of me that even as church folk look and said, well, he could have been something, but I don't know what he is now. Even though some people wrote me off and some people people lost the faith. There was some part inside of me that thought maybe he just wants to do something in me. But now that you see me, I can say you can't tell me it was magic. You can't tell me it was voodoo because God allowed you to see me in my low place. God allowed you to see me when I had nothing. God allowed you to see me when I was going through the storm. But now that he delivered me, I can give him the glory and I can give him the praise because I couldn't do it on my my own and I recognize that and you can't help but recognize that the thing that you see before you is God and it is not man. I was cute. I was cute at 12 years old. But I couldn't preach like this at 12 years old. I was preaching what I heard at 12 years old. But 12 years later, I'm not saying I've been through everything there is to be through, but I can preach from a little bit of experience. Now when I tell you, I know that when you don't have money in your pocket, God will be your provider. I'm talking from experience. Now when I tell you, I believe that there's nothing too hard from God. I'm talking about when he did the impossible in my life. Now when I tell you that he's a healer, it's because I've seen it done. What if he was allowing you to go through the stronghold? What if he allows you to go through the dark place? What if he allows you to go through the barren place? Because he said, sing, O barren woman, thou who has not yet conceived. You're stressing out because some people look like they already got it. Some people didn't have to fight for it. But I believe that a person who had to fight for their seat on the bus is not going to give up the seat to the presidency so easy. Somebody who had to fight to get to where they are, 
single barren woman, yeah, this person, they already got it. But when you get yours, you will know what to do with it. There's some people who seem to think they were born into Christianity. They've been right all their little life. But that's not my testimony. But now that I know the Lord, I'm not letting him go. So, so what, is, what does this mean in your situation? We got broken marriages in this house. We got people who don't know what to do with their child in this house. We got people who don't know what to do with their ministry in this house. Pastor Venice, what if there are associates who, who are jealous of you because they haven't gotten to the place that you are? And where we should be supporting you, we're waiting on our opportunity to step in your place. What if there's some people looking at Miss Lynetta, looking at Miss Terry, and, and they're just jealous every Sunday they're on their organ and they're singing and they just, they do what they want and now they, they get all the glory and all the praise, but they don't understand what you have to go through to really lead worship every Sunday to allow people to experience God. Don't be jealous of Pastor Venice. Don't be jealous of Sister Terry. Don't be jealous of Sister Lynetta. Don't be jealous of what you see because the anointing bears the responsibility and it bears a sacrifice. You don't know the nights he spends up. You don't know when he's running on 48 hours. You don't know what they had to go through to do what they do every Sunday. But now you want the Lord to do something awesome in your life. But he's saying, then let me take you through the valley. Let me walk you up the mountain so when I put you in a place of glory, you can speak to the person in the valley. You can sing to the person on the mountain and you can say, hold on because I've been where you're at. I walked where you're walking and now my ministry can help you because I've been where you are. There's glory in your suffering. Glory in your suffering. There's a part of your story I can't tell. I didn't live your story. You can't preach my sermon. You haven't walked in my shoes. But if you really want to be used by God, you really want to call yourself the people of God. That's the problem. Don't go home and, and stand in front of your mirror doing these affirmations. I'm more than a conqueror. I, I, I am the royal priesthood. I am this, I am that. And then nothing seems to line up because you have to understand that when these promises were told to a people, they were told to a people who suffered. They were told through a people who had to go through for his glory. What are you willing to go through to know him a little bit better? How would I ever know he was a healer if I never was sick? How would I know him to be a lawyer in the courtroom if I couldn't defend myself? How would I know him to be a provider until bills were due but the bank account was short? But is there anybody in this room who has a testimony and can tell somebody else, you don't get the testimony until you've gone through the test? Is there anybody in this room 
who, if people looked at you, they would think that you were crazy to be here because you ought to be out working because you understand that you ain't got no money. You ain't got time to go to church. You ain't got time to take a break from what's going on in your house. But you just know that if you see God in this place and if you can take God from this place to your home, from this place to your job, then something will change. Is there anybody in this room that has faith that can overtake their situation? Anybody in this room that maybe just has mustard seed faith, but believes that the mustard seed faith will move the mountain. Anybody who has faith that the same power, I said the same power, that Jesus rose himself from the grave is the same power that he's given to you. Does anybody in this room believe in the power that God is willing to give you? And if you will make it through your sufferings, he will glorify you in a place. Now we've made it to the land. The journey should have taken days. Took 40 years. We are already the people of God. But Jesus has to purchase our salvation. Yes, you are more than a conqueror. And you know what? Who am I to say that God isn't telling you that the car is yours? that the house is yours, that the ministry is yours. But what are you willing to let go? Your storage has got to be empty. Maybe he's walking you through your 40 years before you get to the place that he's given you. This is real stuff. When you learn how to take the Bible and put it in your life, something mighty happens. When you learn that when you lose the house, but you still believe in God, I believe God looks at that and he honors that. I believe that when you're looking at the person you married, and they're not the person that you knew 20 years ago, but you're still willing to hold on, I believe God honors that. He's, you know the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. So I encourage you to keep the faith. I believe some people, not everybody who left Egypt made it to the promised land. Because somebody lost the faith when the journey ended up being a week. Somebody lost the faith when Moses left. If pastor stands up and says, you know what, I'm called somewhere else. How many of you are going to lose the faith? When the verse you were repeating to yourself doesn't match up with the reality of your situation, don't lose the faith. When you go off to college and, and now you, you've heard about God and you've, now you have to experience God for yourself and you're going to a place that mama can't take you, you're going to a place that your friends can't go with you, don't lose the faith. Because God is looking for that one person who left Egypt, but still kept walking, believing that with every step they were getting closer. 
God's looking for somebody who will take the character of Christ and know that with every beating, with every time they talk about you, with every time they write you off, with every time they say, now look at you, with every time they says, now look at him on the cross, he said he was this, but his situation says that he's that. He's looking for the person that will say, Lord, I yield my spirit unto you. And now that you move me into position, I believe that it is finished. So sing, O barren woman, thou who has not yet conceived. Rejoice. Go forth into dancing, even in your situation, and watch that which God is going to do. Amen. Amen.